Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragonship Publishing. Today, we have as our guest, D.L. Young, specfic writer and lifelong science fiction fan. His intense, fast-paced novels echo his many influences from books and movies, including Star Wars and Mad Max films. Dude, Blade Runner, Star Trek, um, and William Gibson. He's a Pushcart Prize nominee and winner of the Independent Press Award. It's not your favorite now, he will be after. Hey, David, how are you today? Hello, hello. I'm very glad to be here. Doing great. Nice, nice. There was too much fun to read. I missed the last part that says that you are also much less serious than your author photo implies. Much is this true? This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> it's very true. I think that's funny that you had to put that in. Like, did people say, man, he looks really serious in here. So you had to like counter it. Yeah. I mean, if you just looked at that author picture, you would say, oh yeah, he's a horror writer. No, not a horror writer. Just <laughs> a very dark <laughs> black and white serious picture. Well, you do write pretty gritty stuff, though, right? So you have your, uh, I looked at the Cyberpunk City, yep. which box set, very nice, by the way. I love having the box set, so you could just, like, grab it all and be done. Um, so the Cyberpunk City is pretty darn gritty. So for those unfamiliar, what characterizes this, this uh, genre of cyberpunk? Cyberpunk? Well, I mean, I think when you think about kind of the classic cyberpunk, you think of movies like... Uh, Blade Runner or kind of more recently, you know, from the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, you think of the novel Neuromancer by William Gibson or Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Um, these are the books that kind of, uh, the books and stories that envisioned a future that uh, where pretty much multinational corporations have taken over entire economies and they're kind of the de facto power, uh, more powerful than, uh, you know, state entities, that type of thing. Um, high tech, low culture is kind of the phrase that uh, is often used to describe cyberpunk, uh, huh, very like densely that. populated mega cities, uh, that type of mm-hmm. thing. If you think of the movie Blade Runner, uh, mm-hmm. it really does visualize perfectly kind of the, the cyberpunk world where you have, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of high tech stuff, a lot of street tech, um, and the narrative voice, uh, also echoes back a lot to, um, kind of the earliest 20th century noir novels where you have kind of a jaded, uh, sometimes amoral protagonist, that type of thing. So those are the, those are the elements I think of uh, when I think of cyberpunk and hacking to, you know, computer hacking. Well, I laugh because all the gritty stuff, but you also list Star Trek as a big influence, which I totally agree. But my favorite thing about Star Trek is it's like positive outlook. Yes. But those covers... They look very Star Trek-y to me. Like they have the bright colors and like the neon lights and the, yeah. I just, who, who designed your covers? Um, which series? <laughs> I had, I, I had. Share all. Different, uh, I had different authors for each series. It, it's funny, my, my first series, which was a kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max set in Texas type uh, trilogy. Um, an Argentinian artist who I found, I think on ArtStation maybe, um, loved his work, thought it looked really cool. And I said, I want these, I want these books, book covers to look like something out of Mad Max, just crazy wild vehicles, that type of thing. And boy, he delivered. Um, mm-hmm. And they look great. And in the cyberpunk books, I found, a, I found another Argentinian artist, just um, 
coincidentally, who was based out of London, and he had done some artwork um, that was kind of cyberpunk themed. I thought it looked great. I talked to him about the books. He was interested in doing it. I don't think he had done any book covers before. He was more uh, a concept artist for like you know major kind of gaming corporations and things like that. Um, but uh, he did he did a really wonderful job. And and if you look at my covers. For those two series, they they do have kind of a comic book type of illustrated style to them, mm-hmm. which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's occasionally been problematic because occasionally I'll read a review where the where the reader says, "I thought this was a graphic novel when I bought it, and it turned out to be a novel, uh, but I liked it." You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I found these artists. I just uh, looked in various places where the artists hang out and they show their portfolios, reached out to them. Uh, and I was lucky enough to find some that, that did some really, really beautiful original art uh, for me. So uh, yeah, they were, they were great. And then my new Space Opera series uh, that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, so exciting. Found another great artist who specializes in, in uh, spaceships and, and you know, zooming through the cosmos and, and cool-looking planets and stuff like that. So I, I do take my covers very, very, very seriously. I think it's important. Um, and I've been very lucky to work with some great artists. That's really cool. Well, the so you have complete control of them, right? Because you you are independent publisher. Yes. Yeah. So what do you like about being an independent author? Um, the independence of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the uh, I like I like the autonomy uh, of it. I like being able to kind of control the marketing and the advertising and and who I'm working with and and that kind of thing. Now that can you know those are all pros that sometimes can be cons, right? Because um, whereas my friends that are with major publishers uh, spend all of their time writing and they let their agent worry about this and they let the publisher worry about that and and they just spend you know, the majority of their time creating, uh, mm-hmm. I can only spend a certain amount of my time creating, uh, as you probably uh, are aware. Well aware, uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the business side of it, uh, the marketing, the uh, working with people, and, uh, you know, all of those aspects, the operational aspects, the, you know, managing your LLC, and all those sorts of things uh, mm-hmm. come into it, and they do take a lot of time away from the, the creation. But, you know, I have a master's in business and I worked in corporate America for a long time. So that's kind of stuff isn't completely alien to me. So, uh, you know, for me right now, being independent is, is kind of the best fit. I do, I do kind of like the autonomy of it. I like being able to control the quality, um, uh, of the work, uh, the quality of the covers and, and that sort of thing. Well, you must be doing something right. Congratulations on your push cart prize nomination. Thank you. Nicely done. What story was uh, honored? This was uh, this was quite a while ago before I had even uh, published my first novel. I had done um, I, I I wrote a story that was kind of a mixed media story where it was uh, a person who was a person who was based on Mars and he was sending he was exchanging um, messages with his sister who was going through a very rough time back on Earth and. Uh, Part of the story was uh, written. Uh, they were the the messages the sister was sending, and then uh, when the brother was answering her, those parts of the story were actually videos that were embedded in the in the web page 
of this online publication. And my brother is an actor, and so I did the script, and my brother was actually played the part of the brother in the story. So it was like you would read part of it, and then you'd mm -hmm. come to a certain point, and then you'd click on the video, and you'd see the reply message, and then you'd read a part of it. And so it was, it was a mixed media. It was just kind of an experiment. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people ever saw it, but the <laughs> the person at the at the publication really loved it. And mm -hmm. a few months later, she uh, she said, "Hey, I I chose your story as as our uh, the Pushcart Prize nominee for our publication this year." And I was just I was extremely pleased. That's so cool. So you never know when you just when you do really experimental odd stuff, you never know what's going to come out of it. And, uh, right. So I got Either a nice like resume bullet point out of it. Right. Yeah, they're either like, what? Or they're like, cool. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Might as well do it. Um, let's see. We met at, at Houston Writers Convention. And honestly, I don't remember which one. It's been so long ago. Um, Might have been Ride Fest or maybe Palooza, maybe one of those. I don't know. I think it was Ride Fest because I remember be. the white walls in the building. <laughs> So I think that's because they had it in the art building, right? So, because yes. I just remember they're all like, don't touch the walls because they had to stay pristine white because they put art on it, right? Yeah. I'm like, woo, different world. I mean, we're all artists, but definitely different mediums. <laughs> um, so I think you're right. I think that is where it was. Um, what's been the most useful thing you've learned at a convention? Oh. I know, wow. right? Wow. Most useful thing I've learned. Um. You know what's funny is, uh, and I'm not going to say any one specific thing, but what I will tell you is um, the most interesting experiences I've had and mm -hmm. the things that have kind of got my synapses firing and thinking about new things mm -hmm. always tend to be unplanned events. Like um, if I have a spare hour where I'm not on a panel or I'm not selling my books or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, and I'll just drop into a panel uh, on a topic I know nothing about. Uh, I always will just learn something new and it's just brand new information. And those are the types of experiences uh, I really love when you just, uh, you're there and just out of nowhere, you you see these people you, you might not have sat down to listen to any other time or, or chosen them on a list of uh, panel topics, mm -hmm. but because you were there, you just sat down and you were pleasantly surprised and you learned something new about space exploration or space junk, uh, you know, up in orbit, that type of thing, or- um, That's uh, a big topic now, holy moly. Heavy metal. One time at Ride Fest, there was a panel on um, how, uh, how heavy metal influenced my fiction. You know, and this, and I'm not a heavy metal guy, so this is a panel I never would have gone to. I'm assuming years. you mean music, not like legs, yes, right? Yes, how heavy metal okay. music. I mean, yes. we were talking about not, stuff in space. I just wanted not, to clarify. Okay. Not steel and iron heavy metal. Okay, that just just thing, no, actual heavy metal music. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I I'm not a big heavy metal person, and so I never probably would have walked in on that panel on my own. But a couple of my friends were on it. I went and I. I learned so much. I, I learned about a few new bands that I came to love quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, it's those kind of experiences, the, the kind of unexpected experiences that uh, I really take away um, as valuable ones. From, yeah, that's uh, really good advice. I mean, you're there anyways, right? Might as well go exactly. sit down. You've got some time off. Let's go do True. this now. Yeah, that's clever. I like that answer. Um, so we tend to meet a lot of our writer idols. 
at conventions, right? You know, I've met some of my favorite authors at conventions. If you could work with one of your idols on a project, who would it be? Living or dead? <laughs> Let's try living. Okay. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be a writer, but, you know. Oh, gosh. Um... I was thinking Kevin J. Anderson wrote with Neil Peart, though technically Neil Peart was also a writer, but we don't think of yeah. him as that, right? We think of him yeah. as the drummer because he is the drummer. Yeah, exactly. I so, actually you know, just downloaded like his his book on his motorcycle travels, which I that's uh, my husband really just read that too, Zafo. He's like, oh my, like every part he kept telling me, yeah, that's pretty cool. Cool, good recommendation. I look forward to that. Let's mm -hmm. see if I could uh, collaborate with anybody. Oh my God, it would just have to be William Gibson. He's probably my favorite. Um, that would be awesome. I, I don't think I'd get any work done because I'd be in complete awe the whole time. But uh, uh, that would be really really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's done so much. Um, you know, I, I liked his, his, his work, uh, William Gibson's work really actually brought me back into science fiction in my, uh, early twenties. Uh, you know, I didn't read it when it, when it first came out, I didn't read his sprawl trilogy when it first came out in the mid eighties. Uh, I probably read it, uh, sometime in the, in the late eighties. And, um, I, uh, I was an English major as an undergrad, and I had kind of wandered away from science fiction a little bit because I was a literary guy now, right? And so I was all about <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. I'm a serious and, writer. <laughs> yeah, so I was reading Kurt Vonnegut and, and Charles Bukowski and smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and all that. So um, Talk about noir. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, well, for me, the, you know, the kind of the, the, the classic science fiction I grew up on as a kid, Asimov and a lot of those writers, mm -hmm. when you learn more about literary and literary technique, you know, you, you kind of love them a little bit less because, uh, you know, they, they were stylistically challenged, I think is, is probably the nice way to put it, but, um, wonderful ideas, wonderful stories, but you would never look at them as great examples of, of literary technique. Right. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't kind of their strong suit. Um, and so for that period, I was really into literary technique. I kind of wandered away from science fiction. Then I found Neuromancer and I was like, wow, you can, you can tell a you really cool both. speculative uh, fiction story that's really interesting and really action-packed and, and really keeps you turning the pages. And you can do it with very, very strong uh, literary voice. And that to me... Um, was what William Gibson did for me as a, as a reader and a lover of uh, science fiction. He really kind of brought me back into the genre. And then, of course, I explored more into the genre, and I discovered uh, a lot of the writers of the new wave that, that I didn't really know about, the Harlan Ellison and uh, J.G. Ballard and, and those types of guys, uh, whose work I, I really, really like a lot, too. So there was a lot of experimental stuff going on in science fiction that I just hadn't been aware of. But when I came back, I kind of, I kind of dug back and I found a lot of that stuff and, and really enjoyed it. You're like, I must so there's something for everybody things. in science fiction. There really is. Oh, there really is. No doubt. No doubt. You just have to find it. That's why we have all these authors on. So people will find what it is that they love. Exactly. Did you ever get to meet any of your author idols? Ooh, let's see. Well, I mean, I've met Kevin J. Anderson a few times. He's he's a great contemporary author. I sat on a panel next to, um, oh my gosh, his name eludes me. He wrote the Thrawn books for Star Wars. Timothy Zahn. 
Timothy Zahn. I sat, yeah, I sat next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, super, super nice guy mm-hmm. uh, uh, at a Star Wars panel. Um, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appreciated my Blue Man Group joke about Thrawn, which I thought was really cool of him. Um, let's see. Um, I got to hang out a couple times with Ken, Ken Liu, who's uh, an oh, awesome yeah. contemporary writer. Uh, really nice. I was on a panel with well. him too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been to Houston a few times over mm-hmm. in recent years. Uh, but the, the big, big, huge people, um, you know, in the, the literary world, I haven't been lucky enough to meet a lot of those, but the, but the ones I have met within the genre, mm-hmm. um, have just been really, really wonderful without awesome. exception. It's pretty nice, right? It is. Oh, you know, I guess Martha Wells is kind of a huge name now, right? It's like, you know, with her Murderbot series. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I was, uh, Martha and I crossed paths many times at, at Texas-based events. And, you know, I knew her as someone who wrote these, these you know, fantasy novels. And she wrote some science fiction, too. And she wrote a Star Wars novel. Um, and I remember when Murderbot first came out and, and we were talking about it. And we were talking about the release schedule uh, that that tour was doing, and uh, it was just it was wonderful to see this uh, this friend of yours who's been you know writing for years and years and years and is a super talented writer mm-hmm. to watch her career just go like this with the Murderbot novels was uh, uh, or I guess they're novellas um, mm-hmm. that was really really wonderful to watch. So um, you know she's she's kind of a big name now I guess in in science fiction she's won just a ton of. Hugo's and Nebula's in recent years. So um, it's it's really cool to um, see her success and see somebody you know uh, achieve those lofty heights. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's like, you did it. You did it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, if you could hang out with one of your characters, who would it be and where would you go? Oh, my God. So many of my characters are detestable what is terrible to say <laughs> you know it's like if i could hang out with any of them let's see i would probably hang out with the really really rich characters because they probably have the best time you know and they <laughs> you know they have the best vacation homes and probably can go to the nicest restaurants and things like that so um most of the super rich characters in my books are um, are fairly rotten, so mm. I doubt you know I they'd make the Christmas card list, but I definitely want to hang out with the uber rich corporate baddies uh, in in my cyberpunk books. Yeah, you know I have to say I'm disappointed. I thought you were going to take someone skating. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right, you, you know go. I it, you should totally because you still skateboard, right? I do. I haven't lately, but uh, mm-hmm. it was a summer activity I did with my daughter because she got into skateboarding, and mm-hmm. um, she was actually pretty good. And uh, I came to learn that within about a 15-minute drive of where I live is the second largest skateboard park in the world here in Houston. Oh. You're probably not even aware. You're even closer to it than I am. Did um, not know that. Yeah. It's um, uh, North Houston Skateboard Park. It's awesome. And my daughter and I, and I used to ride skateboards when I was much, much younger during the, uh, when Reagan was president and, uh, <laughs> when the whole so, thing started. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, 
So I got aboard and I got her aboard and we went down to the skate park. We would go um, once a week right when it opened. So there's basically no one there. The only people there were old guys like me um, just just rolling around and having fun. And uh, yeah, we had we had a blast. Now in the, in the fall, it kind of it kind of tapered off a little bit because she got back into her sports, soccer and basketball and stuff like that. So we weren't able to make that drive over there. Uh, lately, but we're determined to go back, and it's a lot of fun. But I take it easy. I'm, too, you know, I can't handle the falls at, at my lofty age. That I understand. Every time my daughter tries to get me on her horse, I'm like, you understand? If I fall off, I stay down, right? <laughs> it's, it's a long way down. I'm not getting back up. You are like bounce back and I'm out of the horse and get on and go. I would just lay there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I feel you. So very brave. Good for you out there still skateboarding. Let's see. Um, that should totally be in your bio, by the way. I mean, come on. That's fun. Yeah, I think I think skateboarding is probably my third midlife crisis. So, <laughs> yeah. How many midlifes are you going to have? Starting, You're just gonna keep going? I started having them in my 40s, and I think skateboard is probably. That's one of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I can feel it. I can feel it. Um, so what project that's in progress or not started, are you most excited about? I'm working on a space opera trilogy right now. Um, nice. Jenny says really, she loves space opera. Ooh, cool. It's, um, it's really, really fun. You know, I've, I've kind of hopped around genres a little bit in my novels. My first, my first trilogy was, like I said, like kind of a Mad Max post-apocalyptic, uh, story, and then my next series, which was five books long, was cyberpunk, which is a completely different genre. And now I'm going into space opera, which is a genre I've always loved um, ever since you know I was a kid uh, going to watch Star Wars in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one's been just super, super fun to write because you know you're just you're really free to kind of create whatever kind of world, whatever kind of um, system of government and all those types of things that uh, you'd like to. And it's just, I, I find it really, really fun. You've got different kinds of aliens and different languages and, mm-hmm. and different customs and things like that. And it's just, it's just such a big canvas to paint on. It's really, really fun. Yeah. I have to agree. I like that too. I have an idea running around in my head. I like that. I think it's like you said, right? Growing up on Star Trek, it's always in there, right? It's in my yeah. brain. So that that would be for me. It was Star Trek, not Star Wars, but same kind of thing. I still have that in my brain. Um, well, see, I embrace both. I'm not one of those Star Wars versus Star Trek people. I love them both. I appreciate them both, but Star Trek helped like form me. So, right, so it's, it's different. But that's, of course, because I would come home from school and sit down in front of the TV and Star Trek was on, not Star Wars, right? So it's not a quality thing. It's an exposure thing. Well, when so, I was a kid growing up in Dallas, Star Trek, the repeats of Star Trek were on, um, like, right before dinner time. So I, I would watch mm-hmm. it five days a week. Yep, and, me uh, too. I've probably seen every episode, <laughs> I don't know how many times. Yeah, yeah, my mom What's and I used to favorite episode? Original series favorite episode, what is it? Favorite? Oh my gosh. Probably Mud's Women. That's no, I Mud. I Mud. The second okay. one. Okay. I Mud is my favorite. 
I just love that one. I love Chekhov dancing and Scotty being silly because he's never silly. And it just, it made me so happy to actually see the magic of Star Trek, which isn't, you know, the big speeches, you know, Shatner gave. It's not the, it's not the, you know, melodrama involved. It is the characters and how they get along and how they work together and their camaraderie. That is what I loved about Star Trek. And I mud, oh my gosh, that just embraces it. And when they mentioned the mud incident in the new movies, I cannot tell you how happy I was. <laughs> I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. Oh, my mom says a uh, muck time is her favorite one. Yeah, that's a good one too. Muck time is a good one. City yeah. on the Edge of Forever is probably yes. Favorite. Oh my gosh, have you watched new Star Treks? Don't give anything yeah. away. You watch Discovery? Oh, uh, I don't have Discovery Plus. Okay, no, no, it's not Discovery. It's on a uh, Paramount. Well, I don't have Paramount Plus. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, then then I won't mention anything. Maybe off camera if people have watched, but it was very interesting that you mentioned that. Um, the uh, <laughs> Ugg likes the one with the evil spot goatee. Now, see, now you're you're making me want to get another streaming service. We did it just for Discovery, and um, I must admit, for me, anyways, the beginning was a little rough. Um, but it's as they're trying to find their own voice. Right, of which one? There's, really they have a, they have a few series on there, don't they? They've got Picard on there, mm-hmm. right? And isn't yeah. there's another one as well? Discovery, and then there's a new one we have not watched yet. I can't remember the name of the new one because we haven't watched it yet. Lower Decks is one of them. Well, that's the cartoon one. Yeah. There's another isn't one. Isn't the new one also animated? Nope. There's a kid one also. That's another one besides Lower Decks. Mm. There is another another new one that is not animated. I can't remember. They are working that franchise. Well, I'll take it, man. I'm going to eat it up. Just like Star Wars. I mean, we're eating that up, too, right? We have Disney Plus, so we can watch all that stuff, too. We are. Um, yes, but no, dis- Discovery, we've, we're, I've, I'm fully on. Prodigy. Prodigy's the kid one. That's right. Oh, so stra- it might be Strange New World. Say if I think Strange New World's the one I'm thinking of. So Prodigy's the kid one. Lower Decks is the funny cartoon one. And then the new one I couldn't remember, so that's Strange New World. Welcome to Talking Star Trek on 20 Questions <laughs> with your favorite author. Um, you now, my mom and I, we used to sit down and watch the beginning and see who could guess the type, the uh, name of the show first. <laughs> so we would sit down. Okay, which one is this? Who could get it first? <laughs> oh, I think at, at some point in my life, I could do it, you know, probably within the first 60 seconds. Oh, yeah. You know? We were fast, right? <clears throat> so, yeah, totally with you. And I, 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 I don't remember- know if I could do it anymore. I remember discovering uh, discovering a lot of writers of that era, right? That was probably mm-hmm. my first exposure to Harlan Ellison was, was Star Trek as a young person and, and D.C. Fontana and, and yeah. a lot of great writers. You, you ready for an Easter egg? I actually worked in Monsters, Movies, and Mayhem, one of the anthologies that I did for my um, master's in publishing. I actually got to work with uh, David Garrard. Very cool. So that was cool. And he wrote Troubles. Uh, trouble with tribbles for those who 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 don't know, but yeah, it was really cool to work with him. So he's actually got a story in there, um, but that was cool. My claim to fame—I've not physically met him yet, so that's still on the list. That would be cool. I have. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. I have a list of people I must meet. We must go to all conventions and meet them all. Um, and like you said, so far none of them have disappointed me. They've all been amazing people. So I think if you just go and shake hands, they're going to be amazing, right? It's all good. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the, the great thing about Worldcon is that you see all these writers and they're just out there, you know, among everyone, yep. um, wandering through the 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 books for sale and stuff like that. I, when I went to Worldcon in San Antonio, it was mm-hmm. 
I hadn't even written my first novel yet. I had published a few short stories that I had sold a few short stories, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm in the dealer room. I'm kind of wandering around and I almost bump into this, this short guy who looks, you know, like he's wearing a chauffeur's hat, George R. R. Martin. Right. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I know that guy. And then just, you know, literally within, you know, a couple minutes, you're like, Oh, that's, you know, that's Paolo Bacigalupi. And that's totally him. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really cool. And everybody was really cool. You just go up and say, Hey, I love your work. And, and they'll stop and talk with you for a while. So mm-hmm. if, you know, if you've never been to a world con, um, it's really, it's a really, really great experience. I think I've been to three and, um, they've always been just wonderful experiences. That's pretty cool. It's on my bucket list. One of these days we, we laugh, in Chicago. we laugh that my husband and I, part of the reason we started a publishing company is so we could go to more conventions. So this is a perfect excuse there to you be go. able to go do these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so writing, we were talking about writing, I think. Um, when you sit down to write, what's the first thing you do? Mm. Drink? Me too. Totally. Check, I, Lots I of check drinking. my email and social media. <laughs> Don't be kidding. I'm sure that's part of it. That's Isn't that what all writers do? Um, if we're talking process, I'm a big, big outliner. So, um, you know, I, I outline, you know, I have a pretty not a super detailed outline, but I have like a three act structure outline. I, I usually work to, and, um, before I get started on a chapter, I'll kind of bulletize the things that are going to happen in that chapter before I get started. Um, so, you know, I do a lot of thinking about what's going to happen before I actually do the writing and just note taking and, and within my outline. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the software that I use for outlining? It's so good the name escapes me now, but, uh, I'll think of it and I'll let you know, but there's some great outlining software out there, um, that, that, you know, that sort of stuff really helps the thinking process for me. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of outlining, a lot of bulletizing, a lot of checking my character spreadsheet to make sure I've got the right vibe for the scene from this character's point of view, that kind of thing. Nice. That's a good idea. Planner, planner, planner. Might help focus. Yeah, I'm a planner too, but sometimes when I sit down, it's hard to focus. That's actually a good idea to get some focus in. Just notes instead, instead of stressing about getting the right word. Um, do you listen to Plotter. music when you write? Plotter is the <laughs> is the outlining software. P-L-O-T-T-R. I have no uh, oh. financial arrangement with them, but it's fantastic. If, you're, if, you're, if you like outlining, it really mm-hmm. facilitates the outlining process. And it exports into Scrivener, which is really cool. And I'm a Scrivener user also. Me too. I do love my Scrivener. Just in case I have to move stuff around, it's very handy. It is. And it's nice having all those notes down there. Sometimes I even put pictures in there. You know, like I have pictures so I can have it yeah. all in that file. I really like Scrivener too. And I me. do listen to music. I heard your question. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're good. Uh, I can't listen to anything that has lyrics because it distracts me. So Same. Um, I have um, Amazon Music and I just, mm-hmm. I have uh, channels that I listen. I like to listen to movie soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so Which I'll one's your favorite? On, uh, well, I, I, I listen to composers. I'll put it on the James Horner channel or I'll put it on the... Um, Oh, the guy who did Gladiator, uh, Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah, I'll put it on the Hans Zimmer, Zimmer mm-hmm. channel. Or there's a good one called uh, uh, the 
the dark side, the dark side of the force. And it's all like the Sith music and stuff like that from Star Wars. It's all like the you that'll know, set a mood. Yeah. Yes, it will, when you're writing the when you're writing the heavy stuff, it works. And then they have the, the they have you know the the Jedi side of the Force also music. So so a lot of Star Wars music, uh, just a lot of uh, a lot of soundtracks. Um, the Inception soundtrack is a great soundtrack to listen to uh, for writing science fiction. I think that's Hans Zimmer that. too, isn't it? It is Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's a good one. I like John Powell when I'm writing my younger stuff. I really like John Powell. He's there one of my go. favorites. Yeah. And he studied under Hans Zimmer, so it's not a big surprise. There you go. Nope, I feel and yeah. Hans Zimmer actually tours, you know. He actually has these kind of shows that you can, like, go and see him do his music, which I would love to do, but... Oh, yeah. Um, he just, uh, he scaled back his schedule with all the fun lockdown stuff we're living through right now. Yeah. Not like he had a choice. Exactly. Did not have a choice. Um, how long? Oh, here's our here's our big one. We ask all of our writers now is how long did it take you to write your first book? Nine months. Nine months. Nice. Yeah. He's like, I know well, right away. They're very, no, very I, I know months. because that was my after I wrote it, I was like, I can't take this long to write a novel, you know. And uh, but I mean, it was a first novel, and and it, that was only about a. I want to say about a 65,000 word novel. So, um, was not a big doorstop or anything like that, mm-hmm. but from the, from the time I started the outline to the time, um, it was done and dusted, I think was about, was about nine months. And so I've, I've learned to be more efficient, uh, as time has moved along. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I remember thinking, gosh, I've, I've got to be, I've got to try to be a little quicker than nine months. That's pretty awesome. You're like, I must get faster. Well, at the um, time, I, w- I was I was working full time, and so this was right. my crazy schedule. Was was um, uh, <laughs> you know I could not find any you know with with two young kids that are you know in sports, and and at the time I was working you know with mm-hmm. a big team of people and working a lot of hours, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, had no time to write. So, mm-hmm. uh, where do you find the time? Well. You know, if you if you do any research on this and you look at writers and, you know, the famous story by John Grisham mm-hmm. uh, and, and other people that had, you know, demanding careers and still wrote novels, they basically mm-hmm. got up at 4 a.m. every day. And so <laughs> that's what I had to start doing, despite the fact that I've never, ever been a morning person. Uh, I said, well, if I ever want to write a novel, I'm just going to have to... Get my butt out of bed uh, at four o'clock in the morning, and that That's was dedication. super. And and I would ride from about four to six thirty, um, and then go to you know get ready to go to work, whatever. And uh, that was that was tough at first. It was really really tough. Yeah. But amazing. And and it it wasn't just the getting up part that was tough. It was being mm-hmm. creative <laughs> when you're making the brain work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was all I could do to you know, read a complete sentence, much less write one. So, right. uh, but eventually, you know, your body does kind of adjust. And what I found was um, after a couple of weeks of doing that, I, it, it was easier for me to wake up and it was, uh, I would also get tired earlier, you know, so I'd find myself, you know, by 10 o'clock I was just, I was done. Right. Nice. And I could, I could fall asleep a little earlier than, than I used to. So, it, you know, eventually it worked out, but you know, I just had that very kind of discrete time. Those those 
you know, that hour and a half or couple hours uh, every morning dedicated to nothing but writing five days a week and uh, eventually got it done. It was the only time I could carve out of my schedule to do it. And uh, that's how I did it. Interesting. Yeah, Og asked, do authors ever write longhand anymore or is it always computers? I have a couple friends that have gone the longhand route. Now, personally, my handwriting is so messy. It's absolutely impossible for me to do anything like that. I can, my handwriting is barely legible to me. So um, I can't imagine doing anything like that. My friends that, that actually will write stuff out longhand on a legal pad have impeccable handwriting. And, um, you know, so uh, I understand, you know, why they would, why they would do that and they're just more comfortable with it. And that's great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but just seems like a long way to do it for me. It seems like a, a big extra step. Now, you know, a lot of people are dictating their books now, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, that's interesting. I haven't really tried that. And I, and I heard it's, it, it's a bit of a learning curve, but once you, once you get used to it, mm -hmm. people say you can actually write a little bit faster than you could just, you know, with a keyboard. That's what I hear. I talk in circles, though. I'm not sure how it would work, but they said it just takes training. But I barely have time to get my writing done, let alone train. So if you yes. do it, let me know. Let me, let me know if you, if you make it work. I, say, I know Neil, Neil Gaiman writes by hand still. He writes everything longhand. Really? Mm hmm. So there's there's quite a, and his books are doorstops. They're like garage doorstops, right? Like they're. He must use 500 legal pads. Yeah, he's got to just. Books. That's eat amazing. Them. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's there's definitely there's definitely a few that still do it. I think about I do a lot of my um, brainstorming longhand because it kind of works a different part of my brain. Yeah. So I'll I've do done a lot that of before. Yeah, I've mm -hmm. done that before. That that can be helpful. Yep. The physical so. act of writing sometimes prompts the creativity. Right, and actually slows your brain down, right? Because exactly. I can type pretty darn fast, as most of us can. So I can type really fast, so my brain's going fast, and we're just, like, going at it. So if I need something and I'm lost somewhere, it, by writing it, it's slower. It actually slows my brain down, and I can actually solve the problems that I'm having. Mm -hmm. So it helps for me. The circles. Yep, but as we've said over and over again on this podcast, the only wrong way to write is to not do it. Exactly. Not writing is the only wrong thing. So just write whichever well, you know, that's, for you. Well, you know, that's a big deal for a lot of new writers. You mm -hmm. know, I, when, when people ask me for writing advice, you know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people just, they just beat the hell out of themselves before they even get started because right. they'll write something and they'll think it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, probably is. Because and it might whenever, be, yeah. <laughs> so what? Whenever, whenever you start anything, you're not particularly good at it, whether it's mm -hmm. a sport or, you know, a new hobby or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you just, you only get better by doing it. You only get better but through repetition. Yep. Uh, I get and better, reading. I hope with every book that I write. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and reading is a, is a huge part of it as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. So, um, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how many new writers will just get stuck and, mm -hmm. and get stuck all up in their head thinking if I can't write the perfect paragraph or the perfect chapter, mm -hmm. um, I don't know what, I don't know why this I want to This isn't for me. I'll never do it. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, they'll get stuck in their head so much that they just never get started. And it's like, you know, just do something, anything type, <laughs> you know, right. just, just write type freehand or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. and you'll get better. You'll yep. get better with time. 
Yep. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, we have hit the lightning round. Lightning round. We still need a lightning round sound like ding. I don't know. I can't make a lightning sound. I'm not good at this, so I'm not sure. We'll find one eventually. We're totally professionals around here. Totally. Can't you tell, David? Totally professionals. Totally, totally tell. Totally, totally. All right, here we go. (laughs) First, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. Yummy. That sounds good. Can zombies climb? Not very well. (laughs) They can climb each other pretty well. They seem to have problems with fences, though, I've noticed. Fences. You've noticed. I mean, this is Houston. There's a lot of zombies walking around. The, I, confession, I just started watching The Walking Dead. I'm on like season two, episode three. I'm, I was never a big zombie guy, mm-hmm. but I finally just started watching it because it's, it's on Netflix. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. I ran, Why not? <laughs> I ran out of other series, you know, to, <laughs> to be honest. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And, and I'm digging it. It's pretty fun. But yeah, the zombies, can, they're not you know, the best climbers, are they? Right. They're not, definitely not representative in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Og's going to take that as a yes. It's very important. He's invested in that question. Do you prefer polos or button-ups? Um, polos. Polos. Who is your favorite band or musician? Oi, I would have to say probably R.E.M. Oh, good call. Good call. I was disappointed in the new movie, the, what was it, Don't Look Up, that they didn't play End of the World as we know it at the beginning. Uh, I was like, yeah. they totally should have done that. I mean, totally. Awesome, awesome song. We all would have laughed so hard. They totally should have done that. And one of my biggest regrets in life is that I mm-hmm. never saw them live because mm-hmm. I, I blew them off a, a couple tours and I said, ah, they'll come back. And then they broke up and I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, no and then they're not the type of people that will ever do some kind of, you know, Reunion tour. Let's let's make a let's make a pile of money reunion tour type. They're just not those type of people, I don't think. So unfortunately, I never got to see them live. But they're the they're awesome. They're the best. Oh, I do like them. Cats or dogs? When I was a kid, it was mm-hmm. cats. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a dog guy. Interesting. Change your character as you go along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, David, you've been awesome. Where can fans find you and your work? Uh, If you go to my website, Mm -hmm. dlyoungfiction.com, that's where you can find my work. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you Mm -hmm. will get uh, two free books uh, and an audio story. And these are two full books. They're not just little tiny books. It's two free eBooks and uh, an audio story. Excellent, excellent. All right, now that D.L. Young is your new favorite author, please make sure to review his work. Also, you can review us wherever it is you get your podcasts. Um, That is on, I got distracted by the chat. Do you see that? This happens. Yes, if you're listening to us, make sure to come live because it's way more fun. You're missing all the fun in chat. Uh, Anyways, you can follow us on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Cursed Dragonship, or you can subscribe on YouTube, and that's CursedDragonship.com slash YouTube. And we will not be on next week because we will be in Colorado Springs at Superstars Writing Seminar, which any listener knows that we have heard it. Um, We've been talking about it a lot. We will be up there. But we'll be back the week after that with a superstar author, um, Aaron Michael Ritchie. And we'll see you soon.